before we jump in uh, here today, uh, man, I want to give it up for them one more time, man. That's awesome. Can we give it up for our student band again? That's awesome. Man, they slayed it. Y'all should have just at the end collectively dropped the mic and walked off stage. Like you just, boom, right there. Um, Hey, uh, I want to mention a couple of things before we jump in today, before I pray. Uh, Hey, this Saturday, August the 1st, all right, August 1st, maybe you've seen it shared on Facebook and that sort of thing, but this Saturday, August the 1st, we are having a church yard sale to raise money for the Portwood uh, family. Elmer and Brevin, Melanie, all of them, they go here, they're partners, they're here right now uh, somewhere and uh, they're serving, they're, they, man, they do so many things, but uh, you guys probably know their story, and uh, a lot of people in the community have stepped up to help them. Our church has done several things, and next Saturday, uh, beginning at 9 a.m., 9 to 4, we're going to have a yard sale for them. 100% of the proceeds go to them. It's going to happen in the multi-purpose room, okay? Now, a lot of people have asked, and I, I want to share this with you, if you have items that you want to donate uh, to go in that yard sale, you can bring them this Thursday to the multi-purpose room between the hours of 9 to 2 and Friday from 10 to 6. Thursday, 9 to 2, Friday, 10 to 6. After that, everything that's not sold will go to uh, things like the homeless shelter and Hickory Hills and several things like that. But if you want to be a part of that, donate. You can do that Thursday and Friday. And also, if you want to actually help in the yard sale, they're looking for help as well. And all that information we'll put online. But guys, this is going to be an awesome opportunity. Spread the word. Let's come out Saturday and really step up to, uh, to help them. And I want to mention two more things to you uh, that are really cool. Number one is tonight at 6.15 in the multi-purpose room, I am starting something called Fast Track. Now, you're going to hear us use Fast Track and something else called Growth Track. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, a couple weeks. But you're going to hear us use those terms for things a lot from here on into our future of our church. And Fast Track, what it is, it is four weeks to help you become the person that Jesus wants you to be. Help you to get from where you are now to where Jesus wants you to be. Will, it, will Jesus be done with you in four weeks? No. Will you still have a lot of work to do? Yes. But I'm telling you, God can use the next four weeks in your life if you'll say, you know what? I would like to be a part of that. It's 6.15 tonight, one hour, beginning tonight for the next four Sundays called Fast Track. You want to be there. It's going to be in the multi-purpose room. And then beginning in Sundays in August, we're doing something that we've never done before. It might not be revolutionary, but we've never done it before. Uh, Sunday nights in August and every Sunday night in August for the five Sundays, we're going to have a Sunday night Bible study. Uh, to go along with this new series we're going to start in, September, in August, rather, called The Code. And so we're going to start a five-week Sunday night Bible study. And it, when I say Bible study, you need to know that is all that it is. I mean, it, we're digging deep. Uh, we're going to go through the book of Acts. And I just believe it's going to be a really cool thing. So you need to make plans for, uh, make plans to be a part of those. All right? Hey, let's, uh, let's pray and let's ask God to speak to us. All right? Let's pray uh, real quick. Dear uh, Jesus, we thank you for right now. Thank you that you are here with us today. And so, Jesus, right now, we just pray that, God, you would speak to us. God, nobody came today hoping that the preacher would say something funny. Uh, nobody came today, and what they need, first and foremost, is a really good sermon. Uh, every one of us came today because what we need, first and foremost, is you. And some of us know that. Others of us don't. And so, God, I pray that wherever we are, God, that you would bring us to you right now, that, God, you would just begin to do something in the next few minutes, next 25, 30 minutes, God, that we look back on it and say, you know what? 
I think I met God there in that room that day. I think God did something in my life that day, and I'll never be the same because of what God started that day in the forum. In Jesus' name, everybody said? I didn't say five people. Everybody said? Look at your neighbor and say, wake up. See, some of y'all don't care about your neighbor. You need to, no, come on. Look at your neighbor and say, wake up. Let me ask you a question. Where are my snackers this morning? Anybody like to snack? You like snack food? Yes, revival, brother. Hallelujah. Yes, glory. Dan, me and Danny Eisen are the only snackers. If that's the case, then this room is filled with liars. Where are my snackers? I know a lot. See, and I knew you guys would do this. I know. No, man, I just eat clean. Now, listen, I eat clean. I take a bath, and then I eat what I want. So here's what you need to know. Where are my snackers? Raise your hand. There you go. I'm a snacker, all right? Don't judge me. If you judge me, next week I'm going to talk about the final judgment. We'll talk all about that next week, all right? But, but I, I'm a snacker, all right? I'm a snacker. And, and if you know me, you know this is my snack of choice. Double stuff. Now, that's what I was going to say. Now, now this, is, uh, this is what we had this morning. This is what we had uh, uh, but I, 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 I actually, I actually, honestly, I stole this from the Summit Kids Department. I walked back there and said, y'all need this today? And uh, they said, you're going to eat them during, when I preach, when you preach? And I said, don't judge me. What if I do? Um, but uh, so I, I personally prefer double stuff. But listen, listen, I just want to say to you today, if you're here today and I don't know where you're at spiritually, if you need proof that God loves us and have a wonderful, has a wonderful plan for your life, Oreos. That's all I need to say, that God made Oreos, all right? But, um, but I love Oreos. I love Oreos. Oreos, if you know me, you, you know that. I talk about Oreos sometimes. Um, but here's the thing. Have you ever read the ingredients to Oreos? All right? I don't know what your favorite snack food is. It might be chips. I don't know what it is. But have you ever read the ingredients of that stuff? I, I don't know. Like, like, so, so I just want to read to you um, the ingredients of Oreos. Because here's the deal. Some of you are like, oh, you just shouldn't eat stuff like that. You just should eat healthy all the time. Listen, that just means more for the rest of us. Praise the Lord. That's all that means. So that's the way I look at it. It just means more for, the, more for me, all right? So, 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 but I just want to read to you, because think about this. Think, uh, ingredient stories, I don't know if you've ever read this, but did you know that the ingredients to Oreos, the back of the package says that six of these cookies, it's the equivalent of a daily dose of fruits and vegetables. Did you know that? Did you know that? You, you're laughing. You don't believe that? Hey, that white stuff in the middle of an Oreo, you know that white stuff? What is that? What, what is that stuff? White stuff in the middle of Oreos. Let's read the, let's read the uh, label. Uh, oh, here it is. Oddly enough, the white stuff in the middle of Oreos, vitamins. That's all it is. Just, one, just crushed up, mushy, dream-centered goodness of vitamins. That's all it is, right? How many of you don't believe that's true at all? How many of you don't believe that's what the back of Oreos say? Okay, put your hands down. How many of you wish that's what the back of Oreo said? My, my hand is up. By the way, an addendum to last week's sermon, in heaven, it will say that, all right? Because in heaven, we will eat Oreos, all right? Here's what it actually says. Ingredients, unbleached, enriched flour. Stop talking to me that way, Oreo. No, right? What, I don't even know what that is. But here's what, here's what we think. Here's what, and you're thinking, wow, what, what does this have to do with anything, church? All right, hang with me. Um, here's what we think when it comes to snack food or, what, or whatever kind of food like that that, that, that that we like to eat. Let's be honest, don't a lot of us think this way? Don't a lot of us, when we grab things like that, we think this, hey, you know what? I know that's probably the health, the, not the healthiest option that I could go with, but, and I know it's probably not the best thing for me, but as far as 
consequences for eating that. As far as bad stuff happening to you for eating the entire bag of chips in one night, the entire tub of ice cream for one night, that'll probably happen to somebody else, not me. Do you think that? Because I think that, right? It'll hurt to somebody else, but not me, man. I can eat all the Oreos I want. I can just do that, right? We do that, don't we? Oh, it's probably bad for you, but it's not bad for me. Probably impacts other people, but not really me. We do that all the time. But here's the problem. We can't really do that. Apparently, in Oreos is unbleached, enriched flour. Ah! I don't even want to know what that really is, right? But here's the thing. What's on the back of that package, I can't change. As much as I I want to, as much as I wish that eating Oreos led to a six-pack, it doesn't happen, okay? We can't do that. You also can't do that when it comes to the doctor. Imagine you're sick and you go to the doctor and the doctor walks in the room and tells you it's cancer. And then you leave the doctor and somebody comes up to you and they say, hey, what did the doctor tell you? And you look at them and they say, oh, he said everything's fine. It's probably just allergies. You you can't do that, can you? I mean, as much as you hate his diagnosis, as much as you wish he wouldn't have said that, as uncomfortable as it makes you feel, you can't change it. See, we can't do that with food, and we can't do that with what the doctor tells us, but here's the reality. People do that with the Bible all the time. Find something that we don't like. Find something that makes us feel a little uneasy, a little uncomfortable, gets a little too close to home. And a lot of people just twist it. A lot of people just shift it. Maybe they just completely ignore it. Or they might try to say something technical and they say something like, well, I'm sure after thousands of years of translation, probably don't know what it really means. Especially with what we're talking about today. See, today we're in part three of a series that we've called Afterlife. And what we've done in this series is literally we've answered your questions. People sending questions on the website and on social media about the afterlife. What happens after we die? And so in part one of this series, we answered the question, what happens when you die? Last week, we answered the question, what's heaven like? And if, if you've missed any of those, you can go download them at our website, summithazard.com. But today... We are in part three of our series, Afterlife, and today we are talking about hell. And I just want to make this statement really quick before we dive in. And last week we were in Revelation chapter 21. In fact, if you've got a Bible on your phone or you've got one with you, you can go ahead and open up to Revelation chapter 21. But last week we were in Revelation 21. We read verses 1 through 7, and we talked about heaven. We read about heaven, and we read how, how the best is ahead of us, how God's got something in store for us called the new heavens and the new earth. It's a place of peace, rest, comfort. There's no pain. Best part, we'll be with God. God will be with us. We, we did that sermon last week, and everybody was excited. You remember? And everybody was, was, was so thankful that God's got something like that in store for us. And we, and we saw that, and so many of us believed that. We said, yes, Jesus, thank you that that's where I'm going. But here's what I want us to see, to see this morning, is that if we believe heaven is real, we have to believe hell is too. If we believe that heaven's real, we've got to believe that hell is too. In fact, I told you to turn to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21 verse 8. If you remember last week, I intentionally left out verse 8. I only read verses 1 through 7. 
Here's verse 8 in Revelation 21. 20, Revelation 21, verse 8, it simply says this. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So you can't love verse 7. 1 through 7, rather, and love what 1 through 7 talks about. Get to verse 8 and say, I don't like that. Uh, uh, You know what? That makes me uncomfortable. I'm really just not comfortable with that idea of hell. So you know what? I don't think that's true. You know what? If we believe heaven's real, we have to believe hell is too. See, here's what you need to know about Christianity. What we need to know about Christianity is that Christianity is a revealed faith. And what that means is simply this, that you and I didn't uncover this stuff under a rock. That that it wasn't Christianity thousands of years ago. There was a group of guys that got together and they said, hey, you know what would be cool? It would be awesome if we made up this thing about a guy named Jesus. Right? And then we started talking about something called heaven and hell. It would be crazy, man. People would believe it. No, that didn't happen. We didn't discover this under a rock. Theologians say that Christianity is a revealed faith. And what that simply means is this. It means that we believe that God has spoken. We don't believe that God's off in heaven and he's just hoping we figure this out. No, we believe, our church believes. You need to know that I believe that, the, that God who created us has revealed to us who he is. God wants to be known, so he spoke and he's revealed himself to us. So God's told us what he's like. God God told us what Jesus is like. God's told us what it looks like to have a relationship with him. God's told us what heaven is like. God's told us what hell is like. And listen, you and I, we don't get the luxury of picking and choosing what we like and leaving out the parts we don't. So you might be here, maybe it's a relationship that you're in, and you know what the Bible says about what you and that person are doing, and you're saying this, well, you know what, we're two adults, consenting adults, it's not hurting anybody, I believe it's okay for us. When God says something else, or there's something in your life right now, and you know what that book right there says, but you're saying something else, I want to say to our church, that's a dangerous road to be on. In fact, let me show you uh, the very last paragraph in the Bible. Last paragraph in the Bible, Revelation 21, 18 through 19. God says this, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. Watch this. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Do you think this is serious? It's a big deal. God takes really seriously you and I or anybody adding to the Bible or taking away from it. But I talk to so many Christians who, when, they, when you talk about things like this, when you talk about things like hell, I talk to so many people who've grown up in church who say that they're Christians and they say things like, well, you know what? I don't believe there's any consequences for sin. I, all that stuff in the Bible about wrath and hell. Listen, I just think that's Old Testament, and I really think that somewhere between the Old and the New Testament, God went through puberty, grew up, and he's mature in the New Testament. So in the New Testament, God's all love. And in reality, you see just as much, if not more, about hell and wrath there as in the New Old Testament. But I'll ask people, i say, why do you think that? Why do you think there's no consequences well, why do you think there's no such thing as hell or, 
wrath. People tell me, I just think God's all love. That's all that he is. That God is this massive Teletubby in the sky, and he's all love. You touch him and he giggles. <laughs> you know? And here's what, here's what happens. I'll say, why do you think that? And I have people tell me this all the time because I feel like that's true. Because I feel like that's true. I have a saying that I tell our staff all the time and I say it all the time behind the scenes and I say to them, this, I, I say stuff like this. We have this saying and I say this all the time. Facts trump feelings. What that means is simply this. I tell our staff this all the time. If you think something's going good in our church, you feel like it's going really well, but the, but the numbers show that nobody's going and it's a sinking ship, the numbers show, the facts rather show it's not going well, facts trump feelings every day. See, facts, what God has revealed, trumps how we feel. And what you and I need to do, we can either submit to what God has said, as uncomfortable as something like hell is, as uncomfortable as something like wrath is and consequences for sin, we can submit to it or we can ignore it and pretend it's not there. And listen, that's a bad way to go. Or you might be here, some of you, maybe you're here, you're not a Christian and you don't know where you're at with with God and when it comes to spiritual things and you're listening to this and you're listening to somebody talk about simply believing the Bible and you've said this to yourself, man, that's really simplistic. That guy on stage must be an idiot because he believes the Bible. Again, I don't know what got you in this room today, but maybe you're hearing me talk about just believing the Bible and you actually feel sorry for me because you're sitting there in your seat and you're thinking, wow, that sounds so small-minded. That sounds so narrow-minded. That just sounds so simplistic that you would believe this or that you would believe what a preacher says. Like you just hear a preacher say something. Just assume that's true. And listen, I want to say to our church right now, I've never, I've never given you that impression. Listen, you should, ne- you should not think that I'm perfect, that I've got it all together in everything that I've said, that I've never said anything wrong on this stage. You should never assume that. What you need to do every single time you hear me say anything about God, you need to take what I've said and compare it to the Bible and ask, is he right? And listen, if I'm wrong, I need to change what I've said. This doesn't need to change. Mark Holmes needs to change. You know what I'm saying? But maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, listen, that just sounds really simplistic to just say, oh, we believe the Bible. Listen, I'm glad you're here. I want you to know that I started this church because at one time I thought the same thing. This is a church where it's okay to ask your questions and voice your doubts and concerns. But can I push back on you a little bit? Because if you think it's simplistic for me to believe the Bible or you think it's simplistic for people who are here and they believe things that the preacher is saying, can I push back on you and say that you might be just as guilty of that simplicity? Because I talk to people all the time who tell me that they don't believe the Bible because a college professor told them not to. When you don't actually know if that college professor did the legwork necessary to know for him or herself that the Bible is wrong. In fact, you know what they probably did? They probably had another college professor said the same thing to them, and they just believed it. Or maybe it wasn't a college professor. Maybe it was a celebrity. Maybe it was a documentary that you watched on Netflix. But somebody told you to not believe the Bible. They distorted some evidence that they threw at you. You said, that's true. When in reality, you would never take financial advice from that college professor. You would never take relationship advice from that college professor. But you based your eternity on what he or she said, and you don't know the legwork if they did it. 
So what I want us to see today is that God hasn't left these things that we're talking about out there for us to figure out. God has spoken about these things. God's spoken about a lot of things. A lot of them maybe make us uncomfortable, but we can submit to it and say, God, I'm going to believe what you said, or we can reject it. And I just want you to know, man, that's a bad road to go down. Because when it comes to hell, God wants us to know five things. God says five things about hell in the Bible that you and I have got to know. And the first one is that hell is real. Hell is real. See, Jesus in Matthew 25 says that hell was originally created for the devil and his angels. So when Satan rebelled against God, he was a created being. He was an angel originally there meant to worship God, but he wanted to be God, the Bible tells us. Pride swelled up in his heart. So Satan led a rebellion of other angels, and those angels became demons later on. Satan leads a rebellion against God. God never loses a fight, kicks them out of heaven. And so God creates hell originally for the devil and his angels. But then sin enters the picture. And and here's what sin does. Sin separates us from a holy and perfect God. So that when I look at my sin and I look at who God is, and I know this is a hard pill to swallow, what I'm about to say, so just hang with me. But when I look at my sin and when I look at who God is, what that says to me is the right response for my sin compared to who he is, is judgment. See, because of sin in the world, sin in my life and sin in your life, we get verses like this. Look at this next verse here. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 through 9. God will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished. Hey, would you just pause for a second and let these next three words rest in your life? They will be punished with everlasting destruction. People without Jesus who step into eternity. That's what that's talking about. Real people. And shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. See, when I compare my sin to who God is, all of a sudden that shows me, man, my sin is a really big deal. So you might be sitting there asking yourself, why hell? And that's a great question. Mark, I've heard preachers say that before, that my sin, when I compare it to who God is, it deserves hell. It deserves punishment. But Mark, bro, I'm going to be honest, that sounds like a leap. And you're right. That's a big leap. So why hell? And see, in that moment, in that moment, what we need to do, we need to be really clear about who God is and what God is like. So there's a small book in the back of your Old Testament called the book of Habakkuk, and the prophet Habakkuk sees God one day. God reveals himself to this man, to this prophet, and it causes him to write this verse, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13. Your eyes, talking about God's eyes, what God sees, God's eyes are too pure to look on evil. God cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Think about that. God is so holy, so perfect, so righteous, that God can't even look at evil. God can't even look at sin. God can't even look at wrongdoing because God is holy and God created everything. This is God's universe. God has got to deal with sin. See, we ask questions because we've got this wrong. We ask questions, and I'm going to talk about this in a minute, but we say things like, why does God send people to hell? I'm going to answer that in a second. God never sends anybody to hell, but we ask questions as if to say, God, who do you think you are? 
Habakkuk sees who God is, and then he asks this question. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? In other words, Habakkuk sees sin, sees who God is, how holy and perfect God is, and Habakkuk comes to this conclusion. God, if that's who you are, you got to do something about sin, don't you? You, you've got to judge this, God. There's going to come a time because of who you are. There's going to come a day in there where you're going to say enough's enough and you're going to deal with it in there. God, when's that going to happen? See, hell is real. And what it points us back to is a holy and perfect God. That when we compare who we are to who he is, I'm telling you, Summit, man, it ought to take our breath away. That a God like that would love us, would take notice of us, would want a relationship with us. Hell is real, but number two, hell is forever. Hell is forever. First part of this series, we talked about a story that Jesus told of a rich man and a poor man named Lazarus who both died. One went to heaven, the Lazarus did, the rich man went to hell. They didn't go to those places because of their economic situation. The poor man, Lazarus, gave his life to Jesus Christ, the rich man, did what maybe a lot of you have been doing your whole life, hearing preachers like this, and he said, not today, I don't need that. I don't need that, that's not for me. And then one day they died, and then Jesus tells us this in Luke 16, 26, the rich man's response once he's in hell, he says this, and besides all this between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. That's actually Jesus speaking to that man who wants out of hell. And Jesus says to that man, you can't get out. I know you want it to end more than anything else, but there is no way out. It is forever. Hell is forever. There's no end. We're not there for a little bit, and then we get out. There's no such thing as purgatory where we go get some things cleared out, and then we all go to heaven. No, hell is forever. It never ends. That's why it's called eternal punishment. Hell is real. Hell is forever. Here's the next thing. Hell is eternal punishment, exactly what I just said. Hell is eternal punishment. Many years ago, one of the greatest American poets, one of the greatest poets America's ever had, said this about hell, and join me if you know it, stop me if you've heard it. One of the greatest poets that America's ever had, the world's ever had, said this about hell. Living easy, loving free. Season ticket on a one-way ride. Asking nothing, leave me be. Anybody heard this? Know where this is going? Take everything in my stride. Don't need reason, don't need rhyme. Ain't nothing that I'd rather do. Going down, party time. Oh, don't act all spiritual. What's the next line? Some of y'all know it. My friends are going to be there too. Right? What is that? What is that? One person, I believe all y'all sinners knew what that was. Right? Highway to hell, ACDC. Some of you listen to it, pulling in the church. Right? Let's go to church. Highway to hell! Right? <laughs> Which is, by the way, why I'm not in the worship band. Because of that. Right? But isn't that what a lot of people think about hell? A lot of people think that hell is an eternal happy hour where the drinks are always half off. My buddies are going to be there. Man, we're going to hang out. Woo, hell. We think that. 
right? Oh, if heaven's perfect, man, and all we do is chubby, fat, naked baby angels. Man, my buddies is going to hell. Woo! It's going to be awesome. Watch what Jesus says. Look at this. Matthew 13, 42. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Say, what's that mean? Here's what that means. As horrible as you think hell is, it's worse. Meaning it never ends. It's real pain. It's not metaphysical pain. It's not a pain that you think you're experiencing, but you're really not. Kind of like the matrix, there is no spoon, right? Just talking to the sinners today. Right? It's real pain. Really physical pain. That What you want more than anything is you want out of it. Jesus, when Jesus would talk about hell, Jesus used the word Gehenna. If you grew up in church, you've heard that word Gehenna. Gehenna was actually a literal place just outside of the city of Jerusalem. It's actually a trash heap. And people in Jerusalem in Jesus' day, they would take all of their trash to Gehenna. It was literally just outside of the gates of Jerusalem, the city. And not only would they take their trash there, if animals died, they'd throw them away in Gehenna. Funerals then were not like funerals today. People would die. A lot of people would just be thrown in this trash heap in Gehenna. I want you to think about that. Thousands of people throwing their trash, throwing dead bodies in a place in the city. Well, it's hot outside right now, isn't it? Right? Summertime. So what's going to happen to that trash heap? It's going to smell horrible, isn't it? Stench of that trash heap is going to go all over the city. Do you know what they did? They set that trash heap on fire. And there were people that would literally go to Gehenna every single day and make sure that the fire never stopped. And Jesus said, do you know how horrible hell is? It's worse than Gehenna. It's worse than that trash heap. People would plan their entire day around avoiding Gehenna. And Jesus says, do whatever you can to avoid hell. It is worse than Gehenna. It is worse than that trash heap because hell is real. It's forever. It's eternal punishment. And the Bible says the next thing is the worst of all. Hell is separation from God. Hell is separation from God. Look at this verse right here. I think we might have the verse here. Hell is separation from God, Matthew 22, verse 13. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth into the darkness. Throw them away. Throw them into the darkness. Have you ever noticed that when we want to punish kids now, we isolate them? You notice this? Kid does something, where do we send them? Oh, time out. Or oh, you get time out. How long? Forever. Go to your room. Go to your room. Without dinner, we might let you out in 20 years. Go to your room right now. Right? Isolate them, cut them off from everything they know. Isolated, separated, lost. I'll never forget several years ago, my family and I, we went to Florida for vacation. And my son was, my son was pretty young at the time. He's nine now, but he's pretty young at the time. And, and, and the Bible says train your children in the way that they should go. So that means in my house there's a heavy dose of Jesus, Star Wars, and Marvel Comics. And... Uh, so my son and I, we were in this mall in Orlando, and we were looking at Hot Topics because secretly when I'm not here, I paint my nails black and wear goth clothing. And um, I'm just joking, by the way. It's way too hot. I do that in the winter. Um, but, we, but he and I, we do like that store because they sell really cool superhero stuff. So he and I are always going in there looking at stuff and things like that. And so he wanted to go in there. We walked by, and everybody else, my family, they were sitting on this bench farther down in the mall just taking a break from the day. And so he and I were in there, and he and I were looking and having a good time, just goofing around. And I turned around one time, and he was gone. 
And I said, oh, I bet he's in this next house. So I look in the next house, he's not there either. So maybe, he's, I bet he's over here. So I look over there, and he's not there either. And it turns out what had happened was, I mean, he was really little, so he was with me, and all of a sudden when I was turned around, he, boom, he just ran back to where everybody else was, but I didn't know that. In my mind, we were separated. We were, we were lost. He was isolated from me, and I was isolated from him. I'm telling you, the feeling that washed, oh, your parents, you, you, you've experienced something like this probably, right? The feeling that washed over me in that moment was just a feeling that said, where is he? Hell is that, but worse. Hell is this eternal, immersive pain that says, where is he? And in hell, there are constantly reflections on moments like this. Moments when you could have said yes to Jesus, but you said maybe later, maybe I'll do it next week. And all of a sudden, hell is personified the fact that I could have had him. The one who made me, the one who I was supposed to have a relationship with, I am eternally cut off from him. If the best part of heaven is being with Jesus, the worst part of hell is being separated from Jesus. That's why God, more than anything else about hell, gives us number five, that hell is avoidable. Hell is avoidable. Why does God send people to hell? He doesn't. God does not send people to hell. People choose to go there. They make a choice to go there. If you're here today and you are not a Christian and you don't get saved today, you are making a choice. You are making the choice that says, I don't need him right now. I'm rejecting him. I want to say to you, don't make that move. I love what God says. Look at this verse here, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to, what's the next word? Perish. But everyone to come to repentance. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. God wants everybody to be saved. God wants every person in this room to be saved today. God wants you to be saved, and you, 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 and everybody listening to the podcast, and everybody that didn't come to church today, and every person in the world, God wants them to be saved. God's not off in heaven hoping everybody burns. God is in heaven right now. Jesus is interceding right now that Christians would go and tell the angels, the saints, they're watching what we do, and they are hoping that, hell is, that heaven rather is full and hell is empty. God wants everybody to be saved. I, listen, listen, if you want to know how horrible hell is, look at the cross. That my sin took the innocent death and blood of Jesus Christ so that I can be forgiven, so that I can go to heaven, that's how awful hell is. That's how big a deal sin is, that the only way sin could be dealt with is Jesus had to die for it. And God doesn't want anybody to perish. God wants everybody to come to repentance. And so listen to me, I don't know what got you here today, and I don't know how much you've been in church in your life, but I want you to, I want you to know that God has given us a warning. The cross is a warning saying, don't go to judgment. That God has done everything necessary so that you don't have to go to hell. Jesus took the bullet that I deserve so that in Jesus I get life. Jesus went through hell so we could get heaven. 
And God is warning us today. Can we speak this way? Because I knew coming into this Sunday, this is going to be heavy. Can we do this? It doesn't matter. I've already went so far. Say, wow, I didn't didn't know that Mark was going to talk this way. I didn't realize that we were supposed to have Sunday. Listen, we need to know God wants us to be warned. Hell is real. It's real. And it is forever, and it is eternal punishment, and it is eternal separation from God. God has given us a warning. He is crying out from heaven. The Bible's crying out to every one of us today. Do not go there. Because did you know that Jesus did not die to save us from hell? Jesus didn't die to save us from hell. Jesus died to save us from the coming wrath of God. Hell is God's judgment. Hell is God's wrath on display. It is. And I wish we didn't have to talk about this, but it's true. It's true. And what Jesus has done is Jesus has given us a warning of how you and I can avoid it. 2004 and we're done. December 26, 2004. Anybody remember what happened on that day? A tsunami hit, the, hit Indonesia. The day after Christmas, I remember, all my family was together. My kids were still playing with toys. We were watching TV. And all of a sudden, they interrupted your regularly scheduled programming to bring you images of a tidal wave hitting Indonesia and wiping out cities, sweeping away families, people dying right on our TV screens. Did you know that on December 26, 2004, in Indonesia, on that one day, over 200,000 people were killed by that tsunami? I was thinking about that this week, and I knew that in the day and age that we lived, most people, just like all of us here, have cameras in their pockets. And you probably should not YouTube videos of that day, but I did. And I want to show you one right now. So if we can get the lights to come completely down, go ahead and turn it up. I want you to watch just a few seconds of this video. Go ahead, guys. rest of that video, they run and they run and they run and it keeps coming. Do you know why 200,000 people died on that day? Because there was no warning it was going to happen. Since that day, there's an earthquake somewhere in the ocean. Now we get tsunami warnings, don't we? You watch CNN, you watch Fox News, somebody will say there's a tsunami warning for this part of 
certain country, this coast. Something, something might happen. We don't know if anything will, but you need to know something might be coming. Do you know why there's a warning now? Because there wasn't that day. And without warning, people who went to Indonesia, to those vacation resorts to spend the Christmas holidays with their family, fishermen who got in their boats that day to go to work, and people who were going about their lives without warning stepped in to eternity. No warning. None. No warning. That there's a wave coming. Did you see the wave in that video? There is a wave coming. Run. Go to the hotel. Climb to the highest floor. Just get in. There's a wave coming. God is saying to us right now, there is a wave coming. A tsunami wave of God's judgment against sin. And that's exactly why 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says this, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Today. It is right now. And listen, if you're here today and you are not a Christian, I am begging you to run to Jesus today. I'm I'm begging you to run to him. He took the bullet for you, the wrath for you, the punishment for you. If you run to him, you will find nothing but life. You will find nothing but grace. You will not be rejected. You will be forgiven. You can have hope of eternal life today. I am begging you to be saved today. Not next week. Not two weeks from now. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. It is right now. It is why you came today. Listen, if you're here today and 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 you're basing your eternal life on the fact that you believe in God, that you went to church, that your granddaddy was a deacon, something that you did. You are wrong. I love you enough to speak that plainly. I love this church. I want you to know I love you. And this is nothing, this sermon comes from a place of love. I'm not angry. But God is warning us, church, that there's a wave coming and he has created a shelter in the person of Jesus Christ. Will you run to him today? And if you're a Christian, oh, listen to me. If you're a Christian and you've started to rationalize sin in your life, you've started to make peace with the very thing Jesus died for, listen, today you need to wake up. If hell is the right response to sin, why would we want to make friends with sin? So if you're starting to rationalize sin, you're starting to justify sin in your life. Hey, nobody's perfect. Hey, it's not hurting anybody else. Hey, I'm going to go to heaven anyway. Listen, I want to say to you, run for your life. Mark, does that mean I can lose my salvation? No, because once you, once you receive salvation, you can't lose it. But here's what I believe, because it's clear in the Bible, that if the Spirit of God is really living in your life, He is not going to let you get comfortable with sin. So if you're saying, I'm saved, but you're getting uncomfortable with something that's killing you, bro, you need to wake up today. Because God hates it. Jesus died for it. Don't you live with it. You put on Jesus Christ. You claim the victory you've got in him. You walk in that victory. You, listen, you might not be able to make the break from it completely today, but today, today is the day of salvation, of rededication, of waking up, today is the day. Because there is a wave coming. 
But Jesus suffered the brunt of that wave so we don't have to. Amen? Amen. Amen. The gospel is good news, Summit, isn't it? The gospel is good news that Jesus took the wrath. Jesus took the punishment that in Christ we are forgiven, set free, made whole, set right with our heavenly Father. We have a relationship with him and eternity with him. But there is a wave coming. And I am telling you, if you are in Christ, when that wave comes, it will not take you out because Jesus took that wave. And instead of finding recklessness, you will find rest because of what Jesus and Jesus alone did for you. Let's pray. God, I know we went long today, but Jesus, you are warning. You are calling us back. This matters. This is a big deal. Hell is real. It is. Hell is real. And and it's uncomfortable for us to talk about. But if we never talk about these things, we're fooling ourselves. We're fooling ourselves if we don't talk about it. So God, right now, have your way. Right now, Jesus, right now, I pray for freedom in this room. I I pray, God, that you just wake us up. With every single head bowed, with every single eye closed, let me talk to Christians here first. If you are a Christian today, but you find yourself becoming more and more comfortable with sin, and God is speaking into your life right now, and he's telling you, you need to stop playing around with that sin. Would you raise your hand right now so I can pray for you? Raise your hand right now. So Hands are going up right there. Right there's another hand. Anyone else? Say, God's telling me to wake up. I got stuff I've been playing with. I can't keep playing with that. Raise the hand right there. There's another hand right there. Anyone else? Anyone else? Just raise your hand. Listen, I want to challenge you right now. Listen, we do this every single week, and I'm just pleading, man, somebody would take advantage of this. God doesn't want you to fight that alone. Right now in the back of the room, there's people that just want to pray for you and encourage you and ask that God would give you strength. If you just raise your hand, get up and go to the back right now. Go, don't fight it alone. Don't fight it alone. You get up and go right now. I say, I raise my hand, or you didn't raise your hand. You just get up and go right now. People are moving, you go. You go right this second. Man, I need to quit playing with this. It's going to take me out. It's going to hurt my life. I need prayer. I need encouragement. You go right now. You just make your move and go. If that's you, you're not going to regret it. But if you are here today, hey, people are going. If you need to go, you go. You just go while I'm talking. Right now's the time. But if you're here today and, oh man, if you are not a Christian, today is the day of your salvation. Today is the time. It's right now when you need to run to Jesus. Maybe you grew up in church, and for the first time you realize, I need to run to Jesus to be saved today. Maybe you got invited and you came today, and for the first time you're saying, I need to run to Jesus and be saved. If you want to be saved today, I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Come into my life and save me. Save me right now. I want to be saved. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Jesus, here's my life. I mean, to follow you for the rest of it. Amen. No one is looking around. No eyes are open. No heads looking around or anything like that. Did you just ask Jesus Christ to save you? If you just prayed to be saved today, because today is the day of salvation, do it today. Don't let what other people might think about you. Don't let what might happen tomorrow. You do it right now. Run to Jesus. If you need to be saved today, I'm going to count to three. And as soon as I say three, I want you to raise your hand just to say, Mark, today Jesus has saved my life. One, two, three. Raise your hand right now if that's you. Say, I need Jesus. I want to run to him. I want to be saved. Raise your hand right now. Hands up over there. I see that hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? Listen, if you are raising your hand today to do that, I want you to look right at me. I want you to look right at me. Jesus didn't die for you in private. He died for you in public. 
So tell somebody what he did for you today. And the way that you can do that, that connection card that we gave you when you walked in, check the box that says, I gave my life to Christ. And give it to one of our volunteers on the way out. In fact, in the back of the auditorium, we got a free Bible, a green book for you called Seek First. Don't leave today until you let somebody know what God did in your life. Jesus, I thank you that you took the wrath that we deserve. You took the punishment. You took the bullet on the cross and in the resurrection. And in you, we have life. And we praise God for life. We praise God for salvation and for forgiveness and grace and mercy. And so God, I pray that as we leave right now, help this to impact the way that we look at people. Because we are going to see people at lunch and in our world who are without Jesus and need to be saved. So God, let this message stay with us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, listen, we always end every single Sunday with clapping, thanking God for what he did. But I want us to end the day in celebration for what Jesus has done for us. So if you are thankful for what Jesus Christ did for you, would you give him some praise this morning? Would you do it, man? Amen. Listen, church, thank you so much for coming today. I know we went a little long, but listen, Guys, Fast Track starts tonight at 6.15, and we would love to connect with first and second time guests out there at the welcome booth. Love you guys. You are dismissed.